creek's been rising or the weather's coming up or you found a little nugget or your horse has won the cup, put the billy on. Ring Macker. That's the song. Australia's waiting for you. That's the ticket. Good morning. Uh, welcome to the program. Whenever I feel afraid, I hold my head up high and whistle a happy tune so no one will suspect I'm afraid. A little bit about whistling in a minute. I think it's lovely to whistle if you could whistle well. But whatever, on the Harvest Trail, whatever you're doing, 1300 700 222. Love to talk to you. Morning. Want a hand, mate? Ring Macker. I just thought I'd ring and let you know. We just drove up yesterday from Warren to Brevorina and all those insects you're missing. I think we found most of them. Oh, really? <laughs> Driving through the harvest. All the harvesters are out going as fast as they can to try and get the harvest in. Yes. At Armour Tree, they were held up with the rain a bit, so they had to stop for a couple of days. The country's looking beautiful and we're just camped on the banks of the beautiful Barwon River. There's lots of water and watching all the little parrots come down to have a drink and it's just awesome. Harvesters and headers everywhere. Yeah, I think they've just, I don't think they've got enough of them really. They've, you know, they all seem, whoever's got a header or a harvester seems to be busy. Armour Tree, the pub said it's just crazy. They'll get them drop in at 10 o'clock at night and order a dozen pizzas and a couple of <laughs> And they're out there harvesting all night. That was Bronnie last week. Isn't it an exciting time? I think it's great. And uh, we've got more news about that in our all over news at quarter to eight. But um, it's just an exciting time. If you can get out there and have a look at it, it's great. It'll be part of, better to be part of it. Like Barbara, who says, Husband Lionel and I have just done a stint packing and picking peaches and nectarines at Cumbia near Kingaroy. The easiest picking job we've done. Hardest part, getting up at 4.30 to be on site by 6am. Okay, the pay is only $24.36 per hour, but when you double that, it's $48 per hour, and that's not bad, 50 bucks an hour if you work hard. It's there if you want it. You can eat as many peaches and nectarines too as your bum can handle, <laughs> says Barbara. <laughs> Rod, uh, where's Rod riding from? We were in Copenhagen last year when there was free hire of canoes and kayaks if the hirer collected a bucket of debris, like picking up stuff. We were talking about rubbish on the river. The bloke rang last week on the banks of the Murrumbidgee. A little difficult to manage on Australian rivers, but could work in the rivers and bays close to the cities. Well, it should work everywhere, Rod, shouldn't it? I mean, people should be should be doing that. Anyway, last week on the program, how long did you work for Qantas for, Warwick? 47 years. Hudson Fish was still the chairman when I joined. None of us can believe the, the time we're living in, but the aviation industry is just blown. It's just gone. It's, it's devastating, Ian. You know, you go past the airport and see the aeroplanes all lined up, and but there's thousands of them all around the world. And also, it goes right back to the manufacturers. I mean, Boeing and Airbus were putting about 60-odd 737 or A320s out the, out the door every month, and that's all been slowed right down or stopped. And, you know, there's millions of people that worked on these aeroplanes, and it's very, very sad. Talking about that early times, you know, when they started the Empire flying route, you know, there was 11 days between Darwin and London, something like that. And I think the other day, Qantas flew their Dreamliner from London to Darwin. I'm pretty sure they came out non-stop with the people they were sort of bringing out of England. But they didn't get any publicity for some reason. If you were still working, you wouldn't be working, if you know what I mean. You wouldn't have a job, you'd be doing something. And we've had calls over the last couple of months. A Qantas pilot in Melbourne is driving a courier van and his mate was packing shelves somewhere. I mean, it is just amazing, isn't it? It is. They're very resourceful, the Qantas staff. Very well trained, of course, and, and they tend to be able to slot into jobs and, and they don't mind what they do most of the time. 
I've got two sons flying this contest. Uh, one of them is working a high-rise concrete pump. Apparently doing quite a good job of it, I hope. The other bloke's being a, a, a very careful house husband and finding out what it's been really like for the, the lady folk of Australia. That's Warwick Tainton, former Qantas pilot, who spoke to us last week. He'll be at the dinner, which is on tomorrow, I think, at Albion Park in New South Wales for the 100-year dinner for Qantas. Cheryl... Or is it Cheryl? Cheryl Archie says, Macca, a moment of nostalgia to hear Warwick Tainton touching on our Qantas centenary. We flew on the 747 many times. Like Warwick, I'm long retired from the flying kangaroo. The centenary is such a milestone in Australian aviation history and will be so sad that the current circumstances have dampened the many planned celebrations. But in saying that, Qantas will always hold a special place in the hearts of all Australians and for those of us that lived the dream of flying. It was an experience extraordinaire. So on the 16th of November, let's all raise a glass to the iconic 100 years and a very special part of calling Australia home. Thanks for the memory, Macca, says Cheryl Archie. Good on you, Cheryl. This came in some time ago, but I wanted to mention it again. It's from Joan. Joan Einickus, is it? She was in New Farm. Some months ago on your program, you mentioned the lack of hearing whistling. It's taken me some time to track down the enclosed poem taken from a copy of This England. As an 83-year-old pom, I can relate very well to the poem. And one of my favourite artists is Ronnie Ronaldo's his rendering of If I Were a Blackbird. Enjoy your program. I've learned a lot. And the poem she sent in is called Whistling Jimmy. Have a listen to this. Pedalling hard, he used to go, his old bike weaving to and fro. And as he went, he whistled clear, turning heads both far and near. And the tunes the dance band played were on Jimmy's hit parade. His every note was true and sweet, a human lark rode down the street. He was a grocer, errand boy, and seemed to find his work a joy. When rain fell from a leaden sky, glum folk would smile when Jim rode by. He liked to dance, our whistling Jim, and Sally always went with him. Quite the prettiest of the girls, with eyes of blue and ginger curls. Unnoticed how the years have sped, Sally and Jim long since wed. And young lads never whistle now, for truth to tell, they don't know how. But people in our little town smile when they think of Jimmy Brown, who brightened up the dullest day by whistling all the cares away. This was the theme from the Andy Griffith show from years ago. Wouldn't you love to whistle well? G'day, this is Macca. Oh, g'day, Macca. It's uh, Stuart Roach, uh, captain on the Qantas uh, 129. We're just uh, up to the uh, northeast of Hong Kong at the moment. Uh, we're heading up to Shanghai. Uh, uh, we're on a passenger aeroplane, but we're just flying uh, freight. Myself and uh, Matt Smith uh, up here on the flight here at the moment. Oh, good. Sorry, what was your name? Uh, Stuart Roach. Steve, is it? Steve Roach? No, Stuart. Stuart. There you no, go. Steve plays for Balmain. That's right. <laughs> Stuart, great to talk to you, mate. I was just talking to Warwick Tainton last week about how we were talking about Qantas because Qantas is having its 100th, uh, I think there's a dinner on tomorrow um, at Haas, the historic air- aircraft place. And I was saying to Warwick, because Warwick would ring us from time to time over the last 20 years, 30 years, when he was coming in over Hong Kong or whatever, and... Uh, and I was just saying, oh, we never get calls anymore because most flights aren't flying. But tell us your story, Stu. Oh, yeah, sorry. I used to fly. Uh, Warwick uh, was the captain when I first joined. And uh, I was playing with uh, both of my sons uh, when they were on the 767. I think uh, now they're captains on the 73, though. But uh, now we're, uh, we get called up to fly. Uh, there's not much flying about this, so I thought I'd give you a call. There's uh, not too many aircraft in the air. But uh, we're taking freight up today. Uh, we get a note about our perishable freight, so uh, we've got 15 tonne of salmon on board, and 
a ton and a half of asparagus uh, we're taking up there. <laughs> well, you can have a meal with that. That sounds like a lovely meal, actually. Yeah, well, you don't want to have a barbecue. That's not the sort of thing you get involved with with aviation. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, good. We're, keeping, you know, we're doing uh, six uh, a week now uh, up to Shanghai from Sydney. Well, that's good, isn't it? We are just saying how the, how the industry's busted, but maybe slowly, and certainly around Australia, maybe slowly it'll, it'll make a comeback, Stuart, which will be great news for everybody. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, we'd be pleased to see uh, all the uh, borders uh, open up and uh, we can start doing some more interstate flying. It'll be uh, terrific. Give us a quick weather report, Stuart, as you look out the window. Well, uh, we're in the Northern Hemisphere, so uh, it's approaching winter time up here. Uh, I can see a lot of uh, big cities where uh, you can follow us on the flight tracker. We're Qantas uh, 129. We're just uh, sitting on the coast, the uh, east coast of China. Uh-huh. And uh, it's uh, clear skies up here, no moon, but uh, yeah. very clear. We had a little bit of weather up over the Philippines, and uh, our track tonight uh, took us up fairly close to Longreach, and we left Australia over Manangrida. G'day, this is Macca. Macca? Yep. It's Paul. Hello, Ian Paul. Fox Brown. How oh, are you, mate? Yeah, good, thank you. Finally, it's come around. The time's come around. I've been putting it off for years and years, and I've been saying to me, if I'll have to give Macca a call, and I decided, well, today's the day. Today's the so day. So I'd just like to, uh, yeah, the comments that you're making about sharks, because I used to be an abalone diver down the south coast, uh, oh, Tarsera, Bermagui. Uh-huh. And um, it was so true. It's like, you know, how... I think we give out sort of vibrations. It's like sometimes you see, you know, dogs, wild dogs might be there or something and they'll bark at you. But like if you just have it in your mind to be cautious and careful but not really be terrified to give out those vibrations so that they will sort of, you know, have a bit of gouge. I think it's pretty much the same in the water with sharks too. You give out those uh, vibrations, you blend in with the ocean and um, surroundings and... Uh, the sharks, I don't think, will be attracted to you as much. No, well, that's what um, that's what our friend Tony said, you know, and, and I've heard that before, that, that sharks have a super sensitive sort of some sort of electromagnetic um, sensory system, and he, he reckons, and he's been diving, you know, as long as you have, I suppose, but mostly, well, he dives all around Australia because he does, um, you know, um, environmental sites and industrial sites yeah. and stuff, but... and. And it's quite it's hard for somebody who hasn't been underwater or whatever, but oh you, yeah, that's right. You you know that um yeah animals have a have a what we call a sixth sense, but probably you know a four hundredth sense. They've, they've they've just got they they work differently, aren't they? And sharks yeah, appara- they are, that's right. Yeah, and and but it's pretty scary. <laughs> not only it is sh- yeah if you're not used to it in the environment, but like to see the the thing about it is if. If you look into the ocean, which you probably haven't have done, Mm-mm. and you think it looks like it's um, really shallow, when you get into the, the ocean, it's not shallow. It's twice the width of the that's what what you imagine. But mm-hmm. like you can start in you know a foot, half a foot of water snorkeling, and you just you know you blend into it, and you just get a bit more confident in how you hold your breath and you work your way out a little bit into deeper water. But it's fascinating. It's another world, totally. Oh, yes. So you probably enjoy it, Macca. You'll have to do it. <laughs> Give it a go. You don't have to go in three, four, five metres of water. No. Just go in half a metre of water and you'll be amazed. Oh, you really will. I, I'm sure. Tell me, Paul, <laughs> you said you're an abalone diver. Um, did, you have any, right. did you have any close encounters? I suppose you did. 
Yeah, a number of times. I had a partnership with a man by the name of uh, Gregory Otten Slim. My, that was his nickname. My nickname's Sass. So it was Slim and Sass. Uh, his mother uh, got to give us some money to get a boat, etc. And, uh, well, I remember him pulling on my hose a couple of times. And um, I remember one time we were off Golden Point, which is between Birmingham and Tartar, the most amazing place to die. It would have been quite deep, probably, I suppose, roughly, if I could remember, 10 metres, 15 metres. But the schools of fish, it'd be just, um, you know, every school of fish you can imagine around, you big lots of fish always in that area. But anyway, he pulled on the hose. So I came up to the surface and he done with his hands, like jaws, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> oh, I just said, oh, yeah, okay. So I just went down to the bottom and hung in some rocks and, Looked around, he didn't see it, just kept working away. But another time I, he told me that I forgot that. Um, I was a bit scared, terrified, and I swam over to a bombing and jumped on top of a bombing because there were sharks, and he came over and picked me up in the boat. But, yeah, but like it's, you know, it's so more chance of probably getting hit by a car. Yeah, exactly. Not crossing the road. And yeah. my, my other friend, Kieran, who swims every morning, and he swims out... Uh, I know, and and he Incredible. says he, he's in twenty meters of water, and he just he's, yeah. he's a swimmer, and he looks down and he's he says, oh the the dusky whalers are down there. He said, but they're lovely. Yeah. And he said, um, and I just look at him, and he's he's fine with it, you know. And he he'd be giving off that so called vibe, but I yep. no, I just wouldn't want to. I just wouldn't want to be there. It's Not just, in that environment, anyway. No, no. <laughs> and plus, another thing, Macca, too quickly. Um, can you say good day to Slim down the south coast and all my friends down there? I haven't seen them for many, many years. Well, you better Fun get... smacker. I, you go I don't like daylight saving. I'm like you. <laughs> no, well, I like things uh, as natural as, as possible, Paul, but I know some yeah. people like it. just goes a bit long as far as I'm concerned. I wouldn't... Yeah, it throws out... Yeah, you can't, you can't readjust, mate. No, it's... It's very it... hard for me at my age. I'm 69, oh, yeah. so I'm used to going to bed at a certain time. So when I go to bed at a certain time, it's not actually that time. So the, and it throws everything out of It's very, very difficult and hard to, to do that, stay in that routine. Paul, I'll come, no? and, I'll come and see you at Foxground sometime and you can take me... Um, uh, I'm for... on 200 acres, mate. Yeah. I'm on 200 acres. You'd love it. It's a beautiful. Got a horse, an Arab and um, yeah. the Stewart boys. And, they own the property. Yeah, and I'll I'll bring my snorkel um, and me. Yeah, yeah, if you ever want to go for a dive, yeah, we can go. I'll take you in Jerrygong Boat Harbour. Yeah. Oh, I was beautiful. Gonna, I was thinking it's a local, love it. local pool, actually. But anyway. <laughs> no worries, Matt. I love your show, mate. You're really down to earth, Aussie. And... Uh, yeah, some of the topics you talk about, you know, it's really, really interesting. Well, I really enjoy it. That's Thanks, the, mate. That's the people who ring. Thank you, Paul. Good on you, mate. Take care, mate. Bye-bye. Bye. There you go, mate. G'day, mate. Oh, it's Wombat. Yep, it sure is. <laughs> I wonder what yeah, happened yeah, to you, Wombat. Murray, Where are you? Yeah, on the Murray River, mate. Yeah. And, what, so, and how's picking going? You, you're What are you on, apricots or... Yeah, we did. We start in apricots tomorrow. We probably would have started the day, but it's going to be about thirty-eight or forty, and the fruit doesn't like sitting in the picking bins for too long. So we'll start tomorrow, and then I'd say probably for about the next four weeks or so, it'll be non-stop picking between cops and nectarines. And are you having trouble? I don't know if you heard Angelo before. Angelo's up there in North Queensland, and uh, of course, fifteen million Australians can't, still can't get across the border. So. He um he's looking for pickers. Are you right with pickers around? Where are you, Lake Boga? 
Yeah, I'm at Lake Bailey. Our, the orchard I work on is across the other side of the river, just in New South Wales. But no, we have uh, what well, the contractors that come out and they supply the pickers to us. Mm. And because they've been supplying them for so long, we're getting, uh, yeah, our guys are pretty regular between picking and pruning and that. But I, I followed seasonal work. The wife and I, we travelled Australia for seven years. I've probably told you before. And we followed the picking work around. Mm. And uh, I think what happened when the contractors had come in, a lot of the backpackers that used to come here don't come anymore because yep. they can't get to work. And that's what the problem is at the moment. We haven't got the backpackers can't come in. So, And these contractors, like we're, we're right here, like I say, we've got the same contractors all the time, but a lot of people don't have that sort of thing. So, Yeah, yeah it's, locals, it's, uh, it's local, are the locals interested in picking? Um, we get a few that are, yeah, that are because we're, we've got that sort of, that's a main industry around here as a harvest industry, because yeah. uh, you've got the farmers too that have the wheat and all that. But our, our biggest problem has been this year is because um, we've had a lot of rain and we've had the odd storm. We had a hailstorm went through and that marks the fruit when it's young. And of course, people in the shops don't want to buy a piece of fruit that's got a little mark on it. Mm. So that takes longer. Your pickers have got to saw through that on the tree and uh, just take the good stuff and the bad stuff's got to go on the ground where it's like and be mulched up. So but, you'll be uh, down there for about four weeks, um, uh, Wombat? Yeah, I'll be starting about uh, half past five or six o'clock in the morning and I'll work through. I'm first one to start because I've got to get the tractors and that ready for the pickers and get everything ready and then I'm the last one to finish because I'm <laughs> usually on the fork truck putting the fruit in the cool room and I've got to work out how many bins have been picked and all that sort of thing. So. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and get in the car and get down there in the next couple of weeks, Wombat, so I'll see you, okay? Yeah, mate, yeah let us know. I will do. Have my phone number there, give us a call and let me know and uh, you can come and have a look. We've got dingoes in the backyard, you can come and <laughs> sit in with the dingoes. We had a big storm went through here and we had a big bottle brush tree in there. It's been there. This house is actually the old bank here, so the tree I reckon has been there over 100 years and the storm just ripped it apart. Wow. So... That, that frightened the dingoes, and then we had the hailstorm with that as well. So, But luckily it wasn't out, didn't hit the orchard where I am. That's what happens in November. Good on you, Wombat. I'll talk to you soon. All right. No worries, mate. Hope to catch up with you. See you, Mega. See you, Stay mate. healthy, mate. Bye. This is the All Over News. The big news anywhere around Australia at the moment is the harvest. Hay, barley, chickpeas, canola, wheat, plus cherries, nectarines, peaches, etc. Plus lots of jobs looking for people in what looks to be a bumpy year, probably the biggest volume harvest since 2016. Quality is great and yields up to five tonnes to the hectare is quite common. In an effort to hold the record harvest around Canamble, for instance, two new bunkers have been dug, each to hold up to 70,000 tonnes of grain. Gives you some idea of what's going on out there on the harvest trail. And after three to four years of drought, for many things have changed down on the farm. Mick Heaney reports. You know, it's a good season. You go north of town, they've had no crops since 16, and a lot of people have changed their ways. Maker, they're keeping a lot of grain on farm now, whether it's buried or in bunkers, and there's terrific silo complexes come up, so people will probably become more self-dependent, which is probably not a bad thing, the way the droughts and stuff are. I don't think I've seen as many trucks sort of in a widespread area, especially when there's so much grain being kept on hand. But I was talking to the people in town, you know, they're tied up with grain corp and stuff like that, and but they're short of staff too, Maker. Like, they needed 72 staff, I think, to do a 24-hour shift in town, and it's one one of the biggest receival points. We can't operate without them having staff to take it at the receival end. I spoke to you at this time last year, Mac, and I don't think we could see for dust. The only place the dust is is where the 
grain trucks are being carting in and out of the, on the dirt roads or on farms. You know, it's terrific. You know, anyone that's in the city that wants just a break for a week or two weeks to come out and see a different type of lifestyle and, and they can receive a bit of money at the same time. I had a family turn up yesterday. They'd never seen it before. Now they realise where bread comes from and how it all works. And it was a big eye-opener and they had kids with them and jumped in the trucks and in the header and a couple of the mothers took, you know, their two kids in the headers. And, you know, it's something they'll never forget. They've got memories. That, and, and you feel it's, it's a good thing. They know how, how the industry works then. So for many reasons, some people are keeping their grain on farm for tax reasons, storage fees, etc. But it's good news for all Australia after a tough year. And from our economics correspondent, Lee Harkness. Whilst China's aim in stopping the importing of some Australian products, for example, barley, lobsters, we assume is meant to punish us for our transgressions, that action may have just the opposite effect. How so? Well... Normally, we'd have to balance the money earned from exports by spending the same amount on imports to supply Aussie dollars to our foreign exchange market. Now, China is stopping up to 5 to $6 billion worth of our imports. And while that hurts some industries directly affected, it does mean that we don't have to spend that 5 to $6 billion on imports. And we can buy local products instead, thereby stimulating local business and helping our economic recovery. Interesting. As most Aussies would know, or maybe they don't, the national capital, Canberra, is a tourist mecca. Visitors in their millions flock to the War Memorial, the National Gallery, the Portrait Gallery, the National Library, Questacon, etc., etc. The list goes on. One of the most recent additions is the National Rock Garden, where rocks from 5 to 15 tonnes from all over Australia reside, reflecting our geological and our industrial pathways. And there's been some new additions. Professor Brad Pillins of the National Rock Garden. We've been going quietly along in this very strange year when you know, lots of things have been against us, accumulating rocks to incorporate in a new display that we hope to open in the first half of next year. And this is a display that will incorporate about a 100 large rocks. So these are rocks in the sort of 5 to 15 tonne range from all around Australia and one or two rocks from just overseas. One of the special rocks that we're going to highlight in this exhibition, in fact two rocks, brought all the way from Antarctica. About a billion years old, uh, Macca. Do we know what sort of rocks they are? Just like you and I, and just like all people, or nearly all people, uh, rocks have two names too. They have a first name and a second name. And so the rocks coming from Antarctica are called Mawson Charnakite. And Mawson is the name of the area of Antarctica, Mawson Station in Australian Antarctic Territory. And Charnakite is the geological name for the type of rock. Charnakite is an unusual rock. It's a bit like a granite and it's a bit like a metamorphic rock. It's sort of halfway in between. Not a common rock, dark coloured quite often used for decorative purposes as monuments in cemeteries, on buildings and so on. And so we're getting a piece of Mawson, two pieces of Mawson charnakite, one six tonne and one seven tonne uh, to be incorporated in the display. In fact, they're already sitting in Canberra, having made the trip to Hobart on the Australian research vessel Aurora Australis, courtesy of Antarctic Division, and then by truck up to Canberra, where they're sitting quietly waiting to be incorporated in our new display. And yet there's such a story. It's the story of Australia, really, isn't it? Rocks, whether it's iron ore or Mawson or whatever. Yes, that's right. And, you know, there's a really interesting story about these rocks because as well as occurring around Mawson Station in Antarctica, Charnakite rocks also are very common in the eastern part of India. 
And if you put India back into the Gondwana continent, it was very close to Antarctica and, and close to the west coast of Western Australia. So it's no coincidence you get the same rocks in Antarctica and the same rocks in India. If you've got a yarn or a story for the All Over News, just send it in. Last Wednesday was, of course, Remembrance Day, and because of the times we live in, gatherings to commemorate were severely restricted. Come with us then for an outside broadcast from the War Memorial, Canberra, 2018, on the occasion of 100 years since the end of World War I. Good morning. Welcome. We're at the uh, War Memorial, outside the War Memorial, amidst a sea of poppies. I'm with Michael Doncaster. G'day, Michael. G'day, Ian. How are you going? Good. I should describe you for apparently we were on radio. Um, but we're also live on Facebook, I believe. Oh, so, so, <laughs> oh, dear. so you can... Michael's in his uh, uniform, Navy uniform. With Tell me your story. I've been in the Navy for nearly 39 years. I've been fortunate enough to travel all over the world and do what I do. Not a day goes by where we don't think about the price that's paid and days like today where you reflect and you contemplate. I don't think there are very many of us who wear a uniform who would ever want to go and fire a shot in anger. But we do what we do for a reason. Everyone's reasons are different, but it's what it is. Um, just to go back to being a bit more humorous, I talked to you in 2015 uh, from Nooka in the centre of the Northern Territory down on the Roper River. We were out there uh, doing the uh, 2015 centenary of Anzac Day uh, service, the dawn service, and one of my mates, an old, old bloke called Barry, had a bet with me. He said, I bet you you can't get on to Macca. And I said, I bet you I can. I won't tell you what the price of the bet was, but anyway... Oh, Macca was really, he was really, really angry, Macca, when I turned up to him and I said, mate, go and turn the radio on. I'm getting on Macca and I'm going to talk about Centenary of Anzac. And still to this day, I'll bury my old Air Force mate who'll be listening in Perth to this. He'll be fuming now that I'm back on Macca again. <laughs> this, this time I didn't even have to ring you up. I just turned up in the crowd and you picked me out. Come down to, uh, just to pay respects, I have, my family has a long history of service, um, going back a long, long way. So uh, my grandfather in particular was a a World War II veteran from, uh, from on the Thai Burma Railway. He was one of the last uh, back into Singapore and sadly didn't have very long in Singapore before he was uh, taken back up onto the railway line. And he spent uh, four years on the railway line as a prisoner of war. And I was very lucky enough a couple of years ago to take my son Shannon up the railway to go to Hellfire Pass and to then walk a part of the track. And we ended up um, with some, some opportunities to go to places where we knew he'd been to, finally ending up at Hintock on the north, on the top of the railway line before it turns to go into Burma. And that was very poignant and really reminded me. And today I feel really bad. I'm not wearing my grandfather's medals, but Anzac Day is the only day of the year that we're allowed to wear our relatives' medals. But I have little bits and pieces of his stuff in my pocket. So, you know, there's a, an opportunity to reflect. That's the reason why I'm here today. There'll be lots of people who'll be listening to you and there'll be men and women in uniform like me who are exceptionally proud of what they do and proud of the people back at home. And they'll be listening because you're that link. And can I just say, you know, it's been a great privilege over the years to listen to you. And I envy your job. I like listening to you every morning. We were lying in bed this morning. I'm giving him, as you see now, I'm handing over the microphone. I'm going to put on this uniform. I'm going sailing. That's, that's what I'm about to do. <laughs> Please thank Michael Doncaster, ladies and Thanks for turning up, Michael. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Very much. G'day, this is Macca. Good morning, Macca. It's Lila from Gurley reporting in from Peron, France, on the Somme. We've come over to Peron. I knew I had to be here for the 100 years commemoration. We lost two great uncles and a cousin over here, but luckily enough, my great-grandfather came back. We've been up to Ip and through those battlefields, and now we're here in Peron, which is an incredible little French village. With a, I'm standing outside a castle, like a medieval castle, 
and we're slu- our accommodation is the ramparts. It's actually a 1600 fortification, and I just went to a church service of their, their cathedral here, and they explained to me afterwards that the ceiling fell in and all the windows were obviously smashed, but there's a, a relief from 1601 that survived the actual um, bombings. They call it a miracle. It had to be restored. It was very you know, disfigured, but it did survive. And yes, we're here to commemorate all those who served. Everywhere we turn, there's Australians everywhere. Lots of British as well. The, the British sacrifice is absolutely incredible. We're at uh, Chevelle. We call it Sipavelle, but it's Chevelle, the British monument. And they lost 72,000 unknown. That's more than we lost altogether. And that's their unknown loss. But we're also talking about your, yeah, Australian War Memorial in Ip beginning of the week and they had a service, they got their lines back, the, the lines that have, the Australians have had there in Canberra all these years where they got some new lines. That was a really big service there at the beginning of the, the week at, at Manningate. Lots of security, lots of dignitaries, but lots of Aussies everywhere. Yeah, the sense of duty to your country and to, well, King in those days. But I think the Australians, when you read the different stories and the VC winners, they were really doing it for their mates. And the bigger picture was sort of lost on them a little bit, but it was really for their mates. And I think that that is still alive in Australia. Everyone does look after their mates and, you know, got each other's back. And I think that's an important trait that whether that was instilled, you know, 100 years ago, but I think that has carried on. I was here eight years ago. My dad brought his three kids over here because it's a bit of a pilgrimage for our family. But you've got to be here because so many, so many didn't come back and so many sacrificed and and so they came back, they, they came back a shell of a man and, and then that affected their families and, and you know, for generations. I think you can look at a lot of dysfunctional family issues and you can put it back to the problems of the war and the fears and all the trauma they brought back with them. On the line, I believe, Tim Fisher. G'day, Tim. G'day, Macca. I'm en route to Euron Creek and an armistice service there. And yes, it's a big day for so many small suburbs, towns. They all, they all gave up their very best for World War One. Now, Tim, you sent me a, a piece of information about 10 blokes that you think we should remember in a time of uh, that sort of helped preserve democracy in the world, including people like Winston Churchill and the French uh, president and, of course, Monash. And one other, Naka, William Bragg, young man, Nobel Prize winner, youngest Nobel Prize winner with his father, from Adelaide. What Tell- did he do in 1918? He invented the technology to pinpoint where the artillery barrages, the enemy artillery were firing from, which allowed massive pinpoint counterfire by the AIF and John Monash's batteries and helped turn the tide for the Allies on the Western Front. Yes, there were those 10 and William Bragg's got to be included along with John Monash, with Arthur Curry of Canada and the others. It was a team effort. It was a near-run thing. The Germans nearly broke through at Army On in March, April, but we salute them all this particular day. And I think you're standing near that statue of a particular person, John Monash, in a civilian suit. Well done, Brendan Nelson. And if you look very closely, Macker, at the bottom of that statue, I think there's a quote which says it all. As he said when he was asked to lead a coup d'etat in the Great Depression, John Monash famously wrote, the best hope, the only hope for Australia is the ballot box and good education. The new guard around Yass and beyond, one of the big Victorian families, wrote to him and said, you must lead a coup d'etat in the Great Depression. You must suspend the parliaments. You must become our Franco or Mussolini. And as you look across that lake at the old Parliament House Museum of Australian Democracy and the new Parliament House and our democracy, warts and all, Wow. It's better than the alternative. Monash said to the new guard, no, it would 
be an act of tyranny, an act of treachery. In a sense, he said, I didn't go to World War I to then squander it on a coup d'etat. The only hope for Australia is the ballot box and good education. And of course, that's just another reason why we ought to think about posthumously promoting him to the rank of field marshal, for which the precedent Menzies did play me in 1950. Good luck to you all. Great broadcast coming from that great location at the Australian War Memorial. Timmy, it's lovely to talk to you, mate. Look after yourself. Please thank Tim Fisher, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Brendan Nelson. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning, Macca. Good morning, Australia. An amazing weekend this is going to be, isn't it? It's absolutely uplifting. Uh, Last night here at the memorial, we had over 4,000 people watching the projections of images on the front of the memorial, the light beam to Parliament House, and stunning projection of soldiers onto the trees. Brendan, we were looking and waiting for the kangaroos this morning. They didn't turn up. What happened? <laughs> well, look, when Lynn Berry, and I see Lynn in the crowd here with Philip Johnston and Margaret Knight, when we were at the Chelsea Flower Show in London a couple of years ago, and I said, hey, why don't we do this at the War Memorial in 2018? My biggest stress was kangaroos. So I'm thinking, how am I going to keep these kangaroos off these poppies? So we tried everything from dingo wee and all sorts of things. Dingo wee, I love it. Dingo wee. Well, that's what the experts told me. It's hard to import, by the way. Hard to collect. (laughs) There you go. A small part of our outside broadcast at the War Memorial in 2018. So good to hear the voice of our friend Tim Fisher. There was a patriot. And Brendan Nelson. Wonder what he's doing now. Good morning, Angelo. Yeah, good morning, Macca. How are you? Yeah, not good, mate. Nice to talk to you. Uh, things are things are pretty grim. Well, yeah. Um, look, up to last night, or after I got the call yesterday from these guys, I was going to be on the show today. Uh, yeah, things weren't very good. No, so but we have. I've posted on Facebook a couple of couple of times, and um, I've got all guys coming down from Innisfail, and. Um, some of our local guys have rung up and said that they will come this year. But we've still got uh, uh, positions for people to pick, you know. Um, we just don't have enough people in the area to pick the crop that's here. I, rem- um, I remember when we were um, coming back from Townsville, I think when we did our program, was it last year or the year before, we'd, we'd been at Mount Isa, we went to Townsville, and then we're driving yeah. back... and. Um, and I, we went past a paddock and there was a couple of blokes and I think they were from Fiji because we stopped and talked to them. Yep. They didn't have very good English and they had yep. their long sticks and they were getting, they were just picking, um, picking mangoes there. That would, but that yep. would have been a year or year, maybe two years ago. Yeah. Well, yeah, you in the right area. Yeah. yeah that's the, and um, that's still the same way that we pick. We pick with sticks. We pick for juice. Other companies pick for market. And so their season is the four to five weeks. Mm. Um, our season, if we can get it off in a week, it, it's it's good because then we don't have to worry about the storms, and we can get all the fruit to to, um, to the juicing factory. But some some years you can't, and it takes over four you know four to five weeks to pick, and you lose a fair bit of your crop. Yeah. But this year, but this year without the actual input of getting people to say, yeah, we're coming, we don't know where we stand this year if we're actually gonna because four people ain't gonna pick the crop. Um, and, you know, another call from Townsville that said that they're coming down. Um, that's not going to pick the crop here. So we need an influx of workers, uh, men, women, and schoolies as well. If they're looking for, for some sort of, you know, money for the Christmas holidays and things like that. Mm, um, they'd be mostly yeah. have to be from, um, 
from Queensland, I suppose, wouldn't they? Because uh, the borders yeah. are still closed for, well, they're close to Sydney, uh, which is about five, yeah. six million, and Victoria, which is about seven or eight million. So there's about 14 yeah. million people that can't get across the border still. So, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. What did, in times gone by, what's it been? Backpackers or what? Or uh, grey nomads or, or a combination, I suppose, of everything? Yeah, a combination and, of, of everybody and the Fijians that you just spoke about and, you know, things like that. So people that are just travelling through, uh, they migrate from different areas from where they're picking and they know the picking starting here. So they'll, like you said, New South Wales borders are closed and some of those, and, and you know, Victorian borders. And they just can't get through to here to get back to this area to do the picking. Mm. Uh, or they haven't earned the money this year to give them the travel up to here, yeah. you know, um, because of the lockdown. But I, overall, um, yeah, generally backpackers, uh, you know, grey nomads and, yeah, overseas workers. Now, you're at Guru um, and uh, and you, you said you want um, pickers, but your people around you also want pickers too. So, um, yeah, that's so, the... so it's we're on we the farm that I'm on is my uncle's farm mm. and we got 30 acres here so just over a thousand trees on the farm um last year we picked 600 bins out of here um wow but yeah this year the crop is not as big but the trees are lower we made it easier for people to pick it was a struggle to get it off last year yeah uh, but my other uncle's got a farm as well he's looking for work too I've got two other uncles but not only family there's smaller smaller growers there's larger growers that pick for market but so you've got packing work and packing sheds yeah lots uh, of lots of work around north queensland eh yeah definitely especially in this area at this time in yeah. this, at this time right now there's a big because you've got the cane season finishing up the veggie season coming to a close on not but it doesn't it'll clash with us in the fact that they're still going so we don't have their workers to come across to the picking season, they're still doing the veggie season. Mm. So there's a lot of work up here uh, with now mangoes, and then it'll on flow onto lychees um, and well, other it, fruit. Yeah, and there'll be work other, right up the um, coast. I know, I know my mate in Bowen would be. He's always looking for workers there. He's got tomatoes yeah. and all sorts of things. So yeah, there's plenty of work if one people get uh, want to get there. Angelo, phone number o four seven three. Nine one six one double six. Is that right? That's it. They can call me, and I can get them set up. Um, there's a guy. There's places here for accommodation and things like that, so we can help organise that sort of stuff. All right, and you feel like you're helping Australia too, as well as helping Angelo. Oh four seven three nine one six one double six. All right, That's Angelo. Right. Um, good to talk to you, mate, and good luck with that. Thank you very much for the for the plug, oh, Mac. I think. Oh, well, it's yeah, we're helping Australia. It's uh, that's the deal. Um, I appreciate. It. Good good luck, mate. Cheers, eh? Thank see, you. See Have a good Sunday. Good on you, mate. Love the program. On the line, I've got Jamie Zell. He's from Grain Corp. He's the area manager for Dubbo North, and I thought I'd talk to him because everybody wants to know about the harvest and and the stories you hear. It's a bit of a bumper, isn't it, Jamie? Good morning. Yeah, morning, Macker. It certainly is. Um, farmers right throughout the central west to be absolutely stoked with this result. It's absolutely huge. So it's great to see after three years of drought. Yeah, and a bloke rang me this morning from uh, where was he? He's Marook West near Renmark, and he said he was reaping barley, and they were getting a good return. He'd already had the sheep on the on the crop, and, and then the sheep were off, and he, but he's still getting one point two tons of the acre after sheep had been all over it. So 
that was that was all right. it seems like it's going to be a good good season jamie um tell us tell us the what's happening in your area that you haven't seen for ages well what we haven't seen for ages is um for us we're opening storages that we haven't opened in 15 years just to accommodate the size of the crop maker it's just absolutely massive and just keeps on giving so it's great to see after three years of that Drought has really, really put everyone back on their feet again. And isn't that a buzz? I bet that's a buzz around the town, just not with, with people and trucks and headers and stuff, but just around the town, it's good, isn't it? It certainly is. You see a lot of activity at the service stations and the pubs, and we've actually got 200 casuals employed for my area, and that's about 200 more than we've had in the last three years. So it's just really giving a kick in the, into the local economy. Yeah, we've talked to people, and, and they, you know, they're telling us about um, um, new... Um, what bunkers that are being dug for for grain which holds seventy thousand tons is that right? That's, that's a- right. At, at Canamble, we've got um, two going in that'll hold fifty thousand ton. We're resurrecting one at Kambara, which is just down the road. It's it's another thirty thousand ton, and we're resurrecting one at Armatry, which is another twenty thousand ton. And that's all in the space of probably sixty k's. So you can see, yeah, there's a lot of grain out there. Yeah, Jamie, it's amazing, isn't it? And it's such a buzz. And after the year we've had, not just with COVID, but, you know, drought for two years and some people have had floods and it's been been bloody miserable. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this is great. I remember I was in Dubbo. I, get, I can't remember. It might have been 10 years ago. And it had just been raining. Probably 15, actually. I don't know. And it had just been raining. And you could tell there was a buzz around town, you know. And then I've been there again when... You know, there's been drought going on, and it's uh, and it's real down at heel. Everybody's miserable, not miserable, but you know, it's just, it's it, it's like a pall hangs over everybody, and then all of a sudden, something like this, and everybody's full of beans. They are, and I think the buzz that the farmers would see the most, Mac, is just the way their country's responded. Mm. We've had so many dust storms over the last two or three years, and to see the way the country's bounced back is just incredible. It's gone literally gone from a famine to a feast. Now, I'm talking to Jamie Zell. He's with Grain Corp. He's, the, he's Dubbo North Area Manager. Jamie, tell me what you lot do because you have to, when, when somebody gets their grain or the truck comes in, they go to Grain Corp and it's got to be, what, uh, uh, analysed and all that sort of stuff. You must be busier than, you know, the one on paper hanger sort of thing. Yeah, we're on the hop. But we're, we're managing. We've got a lot of, lot of new staff and they're giving it their best. Um, we, we had a lot of green people this year because, again, after the three years of drought, we didn't get too many return casuals um, that we, we normally fall back on. So everyone's pitched in and done their best. Um, a place like Canamble, we run 24 hours. So we're, we're looking for 90 people just for one site. Wow. Which is absolutely huge. And you only get one chance. For us, we only get one chance to be ready. It's no good saying come back tomorrow. <laughs> when, the, when the trucks start rolling, you've got to be ready to go. Yeah, so, I, yeah. I, I forget where I was. I might have been in Western Australia somewhere. And and when you see that there was a bumpy year, might have been ten years ago, um, uh, at least somewhere I forget where it was um, in in the wheat country in Western Australia, and the trucks were lined up for kilometres. They're all waiting to get their grain measured and analysed and stuff like that. It's it's quite um, and quite exciting, really, in in lots of ways. It really is. It does give you a buzz. And again, Canamble, I think it's the, probably the biggest receivable site in the eastern states, and to see that place in full swing. 25,000 tonne a day, I think, for about eight days straight. So to put that in perspective, it just goes from zero to, to what we expect to take in in no time at all. And the, the piles of grain, the bunkers as we call them, they just grow up, literally grow overnight. And some yeah, people, incredible. 
and 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 some people are keeping their grain on on farms, so you don't know really how much grain there's being. But it must be this must be one of the biggest crops for a long, long time. I think it's probably going to be the biggest one ever. Everyone throws those ones around, but for for my neck of the woods and right through the central west, out to Nevertai, Ningen, Trangi, Peak Hill Parks, all through there, and as far north as Walbert, I think this one probably could be a, a record breaker. Well, as usual, um, the rural industries save our bacon because it's been pretty tough and it can only be good for all Australia if this uh, this keeps up, Jamie. It, it certainly will be. It'll, yeah, it'll flow the money right back through the con- economy, I'd say. Well, uh, and keep hopping from one foot to the other, as a mate of mine says <laughs> when I asked him how he was. He said, oh, we're hopping from one foot to the other, mate. That's pretty much it, yeah. <laughs> good on you, Jamie. Good luck, mate. Righto. Thanks, Maka. See ya. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.